0: Welcome everybody. It's so good to be with you. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church and blessed to be so. I I miss the church family very, very much. Uh, I love the opening video today with the different church folks uh, reading through the psalm. I love the line when it said, we're the people that He watches over, because I know that He watches over me and He watches over you, although you and I are not necessarily in the same place. We are both in the Father's hand, and it's such a good feeling to know that we are together in Him. Uh, So welcome. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. We are continuing now, second Sunday, in the sermon series called uh, Exit Right. We're walking verse by verse through the book of Exodus and, uh, and, and I love this. Also, every day at 10 o'clock, if you are available, join me live on Facebook for 10 with Tim. We're going verse by verse in the passages between the Sundays. If you can't be there at 10 o'clock, it's on there all the time, and they never go away. So you can, you can binge watch those if you want to some other time. But uh, I just encourage you to be in the Word, and this is one way that I feel like we can be uh, in, in the Word together. If you were with me last week, the, the main point, it, it's really just not last Sunday or this Sunday, this really is for me the theme of the entire book of Exodus. And I think it's really the point, one of the points that God really wants us each to take to heart. And it's just simply this, the current situation does not define what is possible for God. The current situation does not define what is possible for God. Now, if that hasn't sunk in with any kind of meaning for you yet, then maybe this moment it can begin to, because I just want you to understand what for us is is this kind of tyranny of the current situation. Whether it's a positive situation or a negative situation, we sort of get controlled. We become enslaved by things as they are. Now, right now, the current situation for some of us, we would say, is terrible. It's just terrible. It's really not that bad. Let's be honest, it's not that bad. But the longer this quarantine lasts, the harder and harder it is to be at peace with it. I mean, I want so badly just to touch my face, you know. I want to sit down in a Mexican restaurant and have people keep filling a a basket of chips for me. I I just want that. Nothing special. My life beforehand wasn't all that exciting, but it was my life. It was my routine. Having it taken away at at the present time, it kind of makes me more awake to some of the things that I was probably asleep to like how good it is to be in God's house with God's people on a Sunday morning. I don't know that I'll take that for granted again. That ability just to uh, um, shake a hand, uh, hug a neck, uh, just to speak and and walk close and and not feel always as if you have to keep distance. Never in my life has loving people meant keeping myself distant. I'm more alive and awake than ever to just that, that, that need for, for friendship, for fellowship. I'm awake to things that probably before all of this I was asleep to. It's, it's about the present situation. The point I'm making is for the most part, we sort of sleep through life. Now, some of us, before all of this, you would say, Pastor Tim, my life wasn't sleepy. I was busy. My routine was crazy. It was exciting. But but I would sort of challenge you there because sometimes the busiest routine, those of us who stay in constant motion, we can be the most asleep of all. What is it that we're running from? What is it that, that we're trying to dull and, and numb away with the busyness, the, the, the craziness of, of life? I, I'm telling you, most of us live our whole lives three quarters asleep, sort of going through a, a routine. I, I mean, at this present moment, we are physically isolated from one another, but some of us have been living a long, long time quarantined from, from actual imagination or hope or amazement. When's the last time you really dreamed a a, a dream for your future? When's the last time you really, really hoped for real change, true change in your own life? Right now, be honest, so many of us are just simply saying, I just want things to get back to normal. And normal means, uh, if not the current situation, your previous situation, this current situation is an interruption you want your routine back. And this is what I'm telling you, your routine, that the current situation, it does not define what is possible for God. I said we often live our lives mostly asleep, asleep to God, asleep to the possibility of faith, hope, and love somehow igniting a fire in our lives, And the thing is, for those of us who claim to believe in a living and infinite God, there must be something very tragic about that. Something very tragic about the way normal for us is is something that we can more or less sleep through or sleepwalk through. It's kind of where we find Moses. Same kind of situation. By the time we find Moses in Exodus chapter 3, understand, he's an 80-year-old man. He's an 80-year-old year old man and while he's got some amazing stories to tell his grandchildren about the old days you know when he was in Egypt the old days when he was a prince of Egypt in the in the palace of Pharaoh the old days you know when he when he killed an Egyptian I mean he's got stories for the grandkids but he hadn't had a new story in a long time by the time we find Moses in Exodus chapter 3 he is settled in to a situation that he has probably long since quit dreaming that it was gonna be different. I mean, he's 80, settled in. He is now living a nothing special life in the middle of no place special. But I remind you, the current situation does not define what is possible for God, and Moses is about to find that out. Exodus chapter three, verse one. Let's just read the story. Some of you know this passage, some of you don't. This is so good. It can happen to you too if you listen. Exodus chapter three, verse one. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing You are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When, when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am know they're suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you." I think that's really interesting how quickly God went from I've come to you will go. It's just amazing. You must go lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Where were you August 21st, 2017? You remember? If you were in Kentucky, I'm pretty sure I can tell you where you were. You were outside. About 125, we all went outside. Why? Total solar eclipse. It was a big deal. They say that hotels, you know, in in around this area, in Hopkinsville, places like that, people from around the world were booking hotels years ago just to be in Kentucky in in August 21st, 2017, at 125 to to see the total solar eclipse. It's one of those things that, that you only see, you know, once in your lifetime if you ever get to see something like that. And it truly was amazing. Now... They say that prior to 2017, the, the last time Kentucky was able to see a total eclipse was something like 1869. Now, I do believe there's another one that we're going to get to see in Kentucky, maybe 2024. I might be wrong. I'm really not an eclipseologist, But I think after that, the next one in Kentucky will be like, like the year 2154, which is approximately when this quarantine's going to end. So, so, you know, we'll all be outside for it. no i'm joking that eclipse was amazing did you see that Man, I mean, it was kind of a work day, so those of us who were working, were were working, but also planning on a long lunch break to be outside at 125, I mean, everybody wanted to be outside. I mean, we got snacks, man, I made a playlist on Spotify, man, I tell you, we put a blanket out in the yard. It was an amazing thing. And then honestly, just to to feel it getting closer, and, and to watch that, you know, shadow just start to come across the sun, it was amazing, it was terrific. And I was lying on my back, you know, with the goggles so you don't get blinded by staring into the sun. And then in that moment when the shadow of the moon completely covered the sun, do you remember what that looked like? I mean, at that point, you could take off your goggles, right? And everything looked different. I mean, everything just sort of floated in this silvery light that I've never seen anything like, and it was just so magnificent. I mean, I felt lucky to be alive. And, and then the moon's shadow began to cross, and the sun began to return to its, its blazing normal self, and the eclipse was over. But I will never forget that. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Well, I say I've never seen anything like it, but, but the other morning, I, I got up at about 5.45. I was going to do my long run, Out Ming Road, which which is what I do. And uh, I was running straight into the the rising sun. Uh, We've had a lot of rain, and so there's a section there right in the curve where there is water standing, two giant lakes of water on both sides of the road. And I was coming right through there, and that water was smooth as glass. And there were ducks on that water. That water had not a ripple, but the ducks were just sliding across it like butter on a hot stove. It was beautiful. The sky itself was purple, I mean completely purple with these streaks of crimson and the color would flash between the water and the sky. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I felt lucky to be alive. Everybody loves a sunset. Everybody says they love a sunset. The thing is, That particular morning, I mean, that sunset was beautiful, beautiful, but there wasn't a person in all of Woodburn with a blanket laid out in the yard watching that. You understand that? I mean, everybody says they love a sunrise, and I'm telling you, that sunrise was glorious. It was glorious, but but the thing is, it's glorious like that a whole lot of mornings. If it's not cloudy, you never know what kind of light and color so that the sun's going to put on every single day, but that's the point. It happens every single day. Total eclipse happens maybe once in your lifetime, so you put a blanket out, you get snacks, you make a playlist. I mean, you're not going to miss that, but if something happens every day, I mean, if you just live with it, no matter how glorious, no matter how beautiful, no matter how much you say you love it, it's just amazing what we can get used to. what you can get used to, and and, and so we we sleep through life. Uh, Honestly, when's the last time you were amazed? When's the last time you noticed the beauty of everything God has made? When's the last time you were absolutely flattened by His majestic presence? You just live? Right now, most of us just want life to get back to normal, back to a routine, sitting in a Mexican restaurant, eating chips and salsa, and just, you know, get on with our life, because that's all we want from life, routine. We don't really want a lot of excitement. We can actually live without beauty and astonishment. We just want normal. What's wrong with us? That cannot be the way that we should live. When we say that we worship a living and infinite God, you know, children aren't like that. Some of you right now are like locked down with children, and and, and they will drive you crazy because of the questions and the excitement. You see, they haven't yet learned how not to be excited about everything. Like you just want to get out of the house right now, and so like you get all dressed up to walk to the mailbox. And right now, a trip to the mailbox with your toddler can take like two hours, because your toddler is going to want to climb every tree. Your toddler is going to want to notice every single bug, every crack, every blade of grass, every flower, every, every dandelion. I mean, your toddler still thinks that the world is new. Your toddler still thinks that the world is exciting. What happened to you? When did you stop being amazed? When did you stop being astonished? When did you begin to think that the, that the life that God has given you is a life of nothing special? When did you forget to be lost in wonder and praise? Here's the thing. In the spiritual life, God's first task is to get your attention. Always. Always. He's just got to get your attention. I mean, right now, to get one of us to look up from our lives, it's, uh, it, it, it takes a miracle. God's first task is just to get you to pay attention. Moses himself, <laughs> Moses himself was born in Egypt to a family of slaves in a day when Pharaoh was killing all of the baby boys. You know this story, Moses' mother, an amazing woman of God, she did the only thing she could do. She could not stop Pharaoh, but she could make a basket. So she made a basket and she released her beautiful baby boy into the water of the Nile River in that basket, simply trusting and you know how, Pharaoh's own daughter, the princess of Egypt, she's the one who took Moses out of the water. She's the one who named him. She's the one who adopted Moses into her family. So from that point on, Moses was was Egyptian, A, a, a prince of Egypt, you could say. There's a long, long period of time when that was just his life. We don't know a lot about the first 40 years of his life. We just don't know. We don't know how much contact he had with his family, with his mother Jacobet. We don't even know anything about his father at all. We don't really know much about his sister Miriam in those years or his brother Arian, but, but, but Moses knows them. Moses knows something. We, we, we realize that as we read the story along, but, but we don't know about those 40 years when Moses just grew up as a prince of Egypt. All that we know is one day Moses went down to where his people lived, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites under slavery. And Although he was one of them or had been one of them, his life was very different. He had lived a life of privilege and freedom and wealth. Luxury in Pharaoh's palace, but he steps down and he sees the suffering of his people. He sees the suffering of the Israelites, and something in him rises up. Something in him awakens. And Moses that day defends the Hebrew slave that the Egyptian was mistreating. He murders an Egyptian, buries him in the sand. When Pharaoh hears that word, Moses flees. It's interesting, in the New Testament, we're told that in that moment, Moses actually thought that maybe the, the Hebrews would recognize that he was a rescuer, some sort of deliverer. It's, it's interesting how we don't see that here in Exodus, but later in the New Testament, we get that insight that, that maybe Moses knew something of his calling or or felt something of his purpose, but, but at any rate, he... He didn't succeed in any of that. He flees to the land called Midian, and I mean, that's nowhere, and they got no internet there, they got no hope, I mean, they got nothing in Midian, and so he sits down at the well as the story goes, and meets a group of sisters, and Defends them from some, you know, bad guys. And if if you know the story, the sisters go home talking about this Egyptian. Jethro, their father, invites him home for supper. Ends up giving him one of his, you know, hillbilly daughters as a a wife. And and Jethro, the hillbilly, you know, father-in-law becomes Moses' boss. And so this is Moses' new life. He Lives with the hillbillies in Midian, and he he watches sheep for another forty years. I I mean, nothing, nothing special about it. I mean, nothing to report. I I mean, in in the scripture, the way we sum all that up is just in verse twenty-three, and it says, "Years passed." I mean, nothing to report. Years passed. Have you ever lived in a place that's not very special where nothing ever happens and just years pass with your hillbilly wife and your hillbilly father-in-law and your hillbilly kids? I mean, this is Moses' new life. It ain't nothing to report. And he's just gotten used to this. I mean, I understand that the present situation doesn't define what's possible for God, but at this time, I mean, Moses is no longer even thinking about his present situation. It's just his life. It's absolutely just his life, and God's first task for Moses is to get his attention. God has to somehow awaken Moses once more. I mean, 40 years of tending sheep, 40 years of of, of nothing special. Doing your job, going home, eating cornbread and buttermilk, and falling asleep in front of law and order. I mean, Moses has been doing the same thing, the same nothing special for 40 years, and now God needs his attention. So it's an ordinary day that followed the ordinary day before it, and Moses expects that tomorrow will be ordinary as well. But on this particular day in the pasture, where he's been a thousand times watching the same sheep, all of a sudden, Moses sees something out of the corner of his eye. It's a bush burning. Now, in the desert, that's probably not so much of, a, of an outstanding thing to see, except that Moses notices something. I mean, you, you got to look twice, but the longer you looked and studied, the more you realize this is not an ordinary bush on fire. For one thing, it's, it's the flame. It burns. It's, it's a magnificent flame, but, but the leaves on the tree stay green, like the fire doesn't in any way destroy the bush. There's no smoke. The branches aren't charred. Moses says, golly. I mean, he, he says, I, I've, I've got to walk over there and see. And, and notice what the scripture says. When the Lord saw Moses coming, Moses turns aside. And when the Lord sees that Moses turns aside, then the Lord begins to speak. in in, in all the mysteries of God, there's just so much there that I don't understand. I mean, obviously God knows his name. I mean, in a minute, he's gonna say, Moses, Moses, but not until Moses turns aside, takes several steps forward and and really gets close. I mean, God waits for Moses. He, He waits to see that Moses pays attention. He waits until Moses is ready to listen. Something tells me that, Moses could have possibly just walked right on by and missed the whole thing because God waited. God waited for a response from him. I find that astonishing. I just wonder how many burning bushes I've walked past. I wonder how many moments of my life when God had a word for me, but I would not turn aside and walked right Past it, can I just stop preaching and, and talk? When before all of this started, my prayer for our church was that God would give us supernatural unity. It was my prayer? And somehow, the answer to that prayer is two months of separation. The first sermon series I preached this year was called A Sign from God. And we said that this would be a year that we would set apart for listening to God. Something tells me that God is speaking. I have this feeling that when we come back together, there's going to be a A supernatural unity because only God, only God could create unity out of two months of total separation. Only God. And something tells me that right now this, this, collapse of everything we've always depended on, our routine, the, the collapse of our finances, this, the, this collapse of all the systems of, of government and functions, the, the collapse of everything that we've always called normal. Just, something tells me that, that, that this is meant to make us turn aside, to, to make us look up from our lives. I think God wants to say something. But here's the thing about God. He he doesn't typically shout. He doesn't raise his voice. He's not yelling, Moses, from across the wilderness. That's not how God speaks. He could. Instead, he just sets something on fire. Over in the corner of Moses' vision, just sets something on fire and waits to see if Moses will look in a new direction. And something tells me right now that is stubborn and is oblivious and is asleep that all of us typically are, that God, who's not going to shout for our attention, he might just set something on fire to get us to look in a new direction, to get us to look up from our lives, to get us to wake up. Wake up. So Moses sees this bush that is up, a flame, but it's, it's not really burning. There's no smoke. He comes aside, and when the Lord sees, when the Lord sees that Moses is paying attention, then he speaks, calls him by name. No introductions are necessary. Moses, Moses, Moses says, Here I am. Take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy. I said that we need to wake up. So so let's just walk through this passage real quickly and talk about four things. Four things we need to wake up to, okay? The very first thing, you must awaken to God's presence. Moses, Moses, here I am. Take off your sandals. The ground you're standing on is holy. It's holy, now, if you're Moses, I mean, you're going to do what, what he says because, I mean, you, you, God has Moses' attention, and he recognizes, man, I mean, this, this place is holy. But understand, was it holy yesterday? Because Moses was there yesterday. I mean, Moses was there yesterday. Like, there's still like a Mountain Dew can and a little, you know, couple of any sausages from his lunch yesterday. I mean, Moses was here yesterday. He's been tending the same sheep in the same pasture for 40 years. Was it holy yesterday and the day before? Because all of those days nothing ever happened. No bushes ever burst into flame. Well, was it holy then? Understand. Holiness is a characteristic that belongs only to God. Nothing else in heaven or earth is holy. God and God alone is holy. So the only way that anything becomes holy is if God sets it apart, if God himself touches it, if God sanctifies and makes it holy. So what makes this spot holy today, if yesterday Moses, you know, walked right across and, you know, and, and, and spit on the ground? I mean, you know, what makes it different today? What makes it different today is God has made Himself present, manifest in His glory there today. Do you understand? God is present. God is present. He's always been present. The ground's always been holy. The problem is you and I are typically not aware. We're typically not awake. No idea. We just walk right through life, we just walk right past every burning bush because we can't be bothered to look up. We can't wake up, we can't open our eyes, we can't make ourselves aware. Aware of God's presence. Uh, I said, your present situation doesn't define what's possible for God. Because this is what you don't understand. In your present situation, God's already there. The ground on which you're standing is holy. Take off your shoes, understand, bury your face in the ground because you're standing before a holy God. I know it's your living room, I understand, I I know. There are Cheerios between every couch cushion, I understand, I know. There's cat hair on every single surface of your house, I know, I know. It doesn't look holy. And I'm telling you, it ain't holy just because, you know, you burn essential oils or because you're an immaculate housekeeper. It's holy because God himself is present with you. He's present. He's always present. You just aren't present for him. You're not awake to his presence. You're not aware. You've got to wake up. God says, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. This pastor that you've walked across a thousand times is holy. See, so here's the thing. If, if, if that ground was holy, and that, that means this ground is holy. And that means the, the ground where you put your feet right now is, is holy. That changes everything. It changes everything because once you know his presence, then you're going to know his power. God says, Moses, I've I've seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. I know their suffering. Again, that word know in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word is a very, very dense word. It doesn't just mean like, yeah, I know I've been told. No, it it means I I feel it. I, I know it from the inside. I know what they have felt. I know what they're going through. I know they're suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. Now, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it looked like the Egyptians had all the power, all the power. And as far as the Israelites were concerned, the Egyptians had all the power. But God says something now. He says, I am here, I have come down, and I have come to, to conquer the power of the Egyptians. Do you understand? There is now a higher power on the scene. God's power. God says, Moses, I am the God of your father. You know, interestingly, we don't know anything about Moses' father except that he was from the the, the tribe of Levi, a a priestly tribe. And here, God says, I was the God of of your father. So, Moses' father must have been a a good God-fearing man. I was the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham and and Isaac and and his father and his father and his father's father. You understand? God is just saying, "I, I, I am I I am who I am, and I've always been. It's just God's way of flattening Moses with his greatness. The continuity of his glory through all the generations, the the eternal nature of the Holy One. I I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob. I'm the God of your father. And I have come, I have come to rescue my people from the power of the the Egyptians. you understand God's power? You've got to wake up to it. Because this whole time, you've just been living your life out of your weakness. You've been living your life out of what you could accomplish, out of what you could do. And can we just tell the truth here? You haven't been able to do that much. I mean, I know, I know. You could compare yourself to some of your neighbors, and you're thinking that you've done very, very well for yourself. But I'm just telling you, what you can do for yourself is nothing, nothing compared to what God could do through you. If you would awaken to his power. Don't you understand? There is nothing impossible for this God. Wake up to his power. Wake up to his purpose. This whole time, Moses has never achieved anything that it seemed like he was capable of. I mean, at one time, he lived with all of the wealth and luxury of the the pharaohs of Egypt. Can you imagine that? And then there was the moment when Moses himself seems to think he's going to rescue the people of Israel. He seems to think he's going to do it by his own might. He murders one Egyptian. And then he realized, oh, shoot. Now. 40 years later, 40 years of nothing, you recognize that at this point Moses must be thinking that all of his chances are gone. Did I mention that he's 80? Did I mention that when the bush caught on fire, his top dentures fell right out into the sand? Did I tell you he's 80? At the age of 80, it seems a little bit late to be looking for a career change, a little bit late to, you know, be packing up the family and and moving off, you know, into ministry, but that's exactly what Moses is about to do because he's about to wake up to God's purpose. I love how this works. I just love how God speaks. God uses all this I language, I've heard my people's cries. I know they're suffering. I've I've come down to to, to lead them out of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and and honey. I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse him. Now go, I'm sending you. How quickly God went from I have come to now you must go. I just find that hilarious. Also a little... um, frightening because if if God has a purpose like that for Moses and he's got a purpose like that for me and for you and you may be thinking that, you know, know, you're sort of in your career now and and you've made all your choices and you're kind of settled now into what you're settled into and you're thinking now that, you know, the the idea that God could give you a brand new purpose, you know, no, no, God's going to, you know, work with the seniors, you know, in high school, those graduates in 2020, God's going to do something with, you know, college graduates. You know, God, he has a purpose and a will for young people, but, but once we get a certain age, you know, we just, you know, sort of settle. Nobody as settled as Moses until God steps down and lights a fire in his heart. Don't you think he can't do the same thing for you? Wake wake up to his purpose. He's got something for you. This entire life of of your boredom, your misery, you're you're making money, this whole life of you just thinking it's all about your family. It's all about, you know, your landscaping. Don't you understand? It's a big world and he's a big God and and your life is meant for more. Man, it seemed like Moses just settled into a life of nothing special. Then God steps down and sets a fire in his soul he's gonna do the same thing for you. One last thing. You have to awaken to God's possibility. It's a possibility. I know it sounds simple, but it's it's what most of us have just lost that 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 willingness to dream that that something could happen. That something could happen around us, that God could do something great, you know, through us, with us, around us, that something's possible. Children of Israel have been in slavery for hundreds of years. Moses is an eight-year-old man who's accomplished nothing. Mostly, he seems to have made a mess of all of the great chances he had at being something great. Now he's just a shepherd for a hillbilly father-in-law with a hillbilly wife. But that present situation does not define what is possible because of God. Moses says, who am I? (laughs) Who am I? See, that's a question of impossibility, right? You got the wrong guy. There's always this sense of when God calls you that he's got the wrong number. Who, Who am I? And for that matter, who are you? I mean, you know, notice how quickly Moses goes from Here I am to who am I? And, and who are you? Interestingly what God says next I, I don't even know if it's an answer When Moses says who am I God just says I'll be with you <laughs> I, I will be with you Which Which I don't have time to preach this, but just understand that no matter what your question is, God doesn't just give you like facts. He doesn't just give you a logical answer to all of your deepest questions. The answer God gives you is himself. When you say, God, why is this happening? I I, I will be with you. God, where are you? I, I am gonna be with you, God. Who am I? I I, I will be with you. I I mean, the answer to your questions is always God's self. And then God says, I'm going to give you a sign. And this is, you know, is this really a sign? I mean, I I, I know God knows how signs work, but but this is like, you know, I'm going to give you a sign. And the sign is, when this whole thing is over, it's like, How is that a sign? It's a future-oriented sign. When all this is over, you and me are going to meet right back here at this spot, and then I'm going to let you tell me I told you so. I mean, that's what it says. That's what it says. Here's the sign. When it's all over, we'll come right back here, and and you can praise me and tell me I told you so. That's the sign. It's a future-oriented sign. In other words, for all of God's presence and all of God's power and all of His purpose, God doesn't take the risk out of that present obedience. Moses still has to step out with the God whose name is a kind of a non name it's, it's just like stacking up a Hebrew verb on top of itself and then turning it around and it's that verb to be or or i am and it just stacks it in such a way where it's, uh, it, it becomes something too mysterious for words, too beautiful for comprehension, too holy to be pronounced. You, you just tell them, I am. And with that, Moses steps out into a whole new future. Understand where everything is possible. Right now, it seems like everything's not possible with you because you need to wake up. You need to open your eyes. You need to look up from your life. You need to stop wishing that everything could get back to how it was and start asking God how it's going to be because it doesn't have to be anything like it was. You're stepping into a future where God calls you from the future. You're stepping into a place where God already is. Already He has flattened this place with His holiness. Already He has overwhelmed this place with His power. Already He has put deep in your heart this purpose that calls you, calls you to desire something more than just this life of nothing special. And He reminds you that with Him everything is possible. But you. Have to wake up. You have to pay attention. You've got to turn aside. Pray with me. God, it is just so easy. To live a life of routine. It's just so easy to settle into a life where nothing happens because that makes us feel in control. We like things predictable. We like things what we call normal. Because normal, we understand. Normal, we can manage. Normal, we don't feel like we need you. If it's normal, Lord, we don't have to fall on our faces in the presence of holiness. If it's normal, we don't have to feel overwhelmed by power that bids us to do more. If it's normal, oh God, we don't have to wonder what the purpose is. If it's normal, Lord, we no longer have to wonder if anything new is possible. Oh God, set something on fire in our hearts so that we no longer crave normal. Set something on fire in our hearts, Lord, so that we would long to be in your presence, so that we would long to live with your power, so that we would long to accomplish your purpose, so that we could live in such a way where we could know and we could pray and we could truly believe that with you all things are possible. Open our eyes. Turn us aside. Set something on fire, Lord God, that we might know and understand that you, O Lord, are holy. That you, O Lord, are with us. And because you are with us, we have purpose. And all things are possible. Teach us, Lord, to dream new dreams. Teach us, Lord, to look for new vision. Teach us, Lord, how to stand amazed in your presence because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.